Hi, and welcome to the Writers Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'll be interviewing writer, musician, composer, tango dancer, and teacher Katerina Boudreaux, who recently released a new novel entitled The Platform Dwellers, set in a post-apocalyptic Gulf of Mexico. How's it going today, Katerina? It's going great. Um, from your bio, you have a lot of creative interests, it seems. I do. Um, tell it me, makes me happy. It does it? That's good. Um, how do you go about balancing those like is it something that I don't. you you don't you know you just kind of like run into it um you know it's it's interesting i've never had that's not true right out of college i had an 8 to 5 job okay and i was doing technical writing and there came a moment in time where i was like can i really continue to technically write about these projects eight to five, or is it time for me to do something different? Yeah. And I decided uh, to do something different uh, just because I felt like every day I wasn't really giving myself what I needed to grow. Yeah. So I moved from, I'm from here, I'm from Homa, but then I was in school in Texas. And then I moved to New York and Connecticut and sort of just developed who I was in the small scheme and then who I was in the universal scheme. And I found that even though I went to college and decided I was never going to teach, um, I started teaching. Ah. And it's amazing to me how big of an effect that had on me as a musician and as a writer and as a performer. Because when you are teaching and disseminating information, I feel like you become even more clear about who you are as a musician, as a writer as a performer yeah, and it's a win-win because you're also imparting this information to a young person so they can grow and you're growing within that relationship. So that was a win-win. So I had a couple of bands and then I started really getting down to making sure I'm writing every day. And then I moved back here and it was a beautiful experience because New Orleans is just such a hotbed of creative interest that right when I moved back, um, dance quarter opened and they're just like, they were super friendly to me. And the first thing I did when I moved back was I went to a Malonga and I went to a poetry reading that Dave Brinks had at Goldmine oh, wow. back in the day, yeah. 13 poets. And, uh, I enjoyed both of those made friends and they're still my friends, which I think is a beautiful part of new Orleans is that you just, you find your group. So I started teaching dance and I started sitting down every day to write and this wonderful creative thing happens. And I just started churning out material that I felt good about. Yeah, no, I get that. There's a lot of things that you said I want to dive in, but I want to start with, when did you start writing? I know you did the technical writing first, but when did you start writing creatively and, and what? <laughs> my yeah. first, my mother loves to talk about my first poem, yeah? which was about a black cat on the fence. <laughs> I was like four and it was like black cat, black cat on fence. Don't hiss at me. It was like, I really, really, and I would write. So from the beginning, I really, I just loved to write through school. I had some great teachers. I was in, um, Mrs. Schaff, uh, Mrs. Hamner. These were people that were in, um, the English departments at the schools I went to encouraged me. I did the Louisiana competitions. I went to state, you know, I was always encouraged. And so when I entered college, I was like, I've got to, this is my life. This is my story. I find that since then, writing has saved me quite a lot of money in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all find our ways to get rid of whatever stresses in our life. And for me, it's writing. I write poetry. I write short stories. I write, I write books. I write little snippets of stuff that maybe one day will come 
to bear, but writing has always just been part of my my lifeline. Yeah. And um, even the one thing I wasn't terribly great at, I just remember, it's the one paper I ever got a B on was about a narrative essay. So maybe I should work on that. Yeah, that's <laughs> I was thing. like in 10th grade. Yeah. Um, and it hurt my feelings because I was like, <gasps> you know, and... Um, but it's personal. Writing is super personal. And I think you have to come to a point where um, with poetry, I just share it because yeah. I do feel like it's my it's my way of filtering through my daily life and yeah. the little things that mean things and the big things that mean things. Yeah. And people are like, well, why do you feel the need to share that with other people? And I think it's because it's connection. Yeah. I feel like if one person reads it and they feel connected in some way, then I'm creating a, a, a larger universe yeah. of peopleage. No, I, I understand that. That's really kind of cool things to have in the school set. You did. It's, nobody's going to call you out on it. We're okay. not. This is not happening. Uh, um, no, I think that's super interesting. And I think that idea of writing in various sorts and, and kind of working, um, what's one aspect in all your writing that you struggle with the most? Editing. Yeah? Man. What, what part of it like is... Man, it's the time to edit. It's like... I'm a doer, yeah, and so I enjoy like writing and putting out material and and getting new ideas. But it's that time that you have to sit down and you have to focus and you have to think about your readership and you have to think about the flow of your words and you have to think about every little detail and putting them in order. It's it's tedious. It's important work. Yeah, um, and that to me is the most challenging. I've got ideas, believe me, um, but making sure every word is what it needs to be and every sentiment is exactly what needs to be on the page is my most challenging. Yeah. I can, I, that time. I, I can tell you have ideas and then one of them being the, the platform dwellers, yes. uh, which is the book that you have in front of you as well. I was wondering if you could read a little segment for our listeners. I'd love to. I will. Um, it's hard for me to, to pick one segment because I love the book. <laughs> Isn't that great when you love something you've done? But this particular segment is kind of the the main character, Joe, looking at her world. And through her eyes, we get an image of what it's like to be contained on a platform. On Neft, there are three different foreign language speakers. The final bell is still echoing, and I had really hoped to get through my last class without hearing Neljas talk. He sits in front of me in Lizette, and his face reminds me of a pufferfish about to burst. His body and ego, too. It'll be like I'm living in a different universe, a cultured one, instead of this floating trash rag, real linguists instead of virtual dead voices. I gather my light pen and storage device. Did Mom feel like that about Nod? Neldris continues to brag. In two weeks, I'll be studying languages in paradise. Seems superfluous, Lizette says. I mean, English is the primary platform language. Neljas laughs snidely and looks Lizette up and down. Some of us have a taste for finer things. Lizette's cheeks turn red, and I give Neljas a hard look. May you sail in smooth waters, Neljas. Very smooth. I grab Lizette's arm and pull her behind me. When we were out in the hall, she takes several deep breaths. Don't worry about him. He's a fool, I whisper. Like he'll ever be able to say hello or goodbye to anyone, much less in another language. They'll have him translating old books for our pads. Lizette still looks upset, so I don't press her to talk. We ditch our bags at the base of the stairs and climb side by side to floor 31. We scan our wrists and enter the climbing area, panting a little after the 20 floors. 
There's an obstacle course made of unusable tires and old fishing nets, a wall of pipes to boulder across, and patched up sails to climb. Some kids use the next level up as a parkour course. Everything smells damp and moldy since there are no real walls, and the wind is stronger this high up. Sometimes we find feathers stuck in the pipes, and we turn them into recycling. I've always wanted to keep one for the feather mattress of my dreams. All the students in my year have exercise period now, and I see them broken into small groups. The anxiety and excitement in the room is like an electric current. They're all clustered around the drop in the center of the room. It's an enclosed chute that snakes down 30 stories and dumps into Duritz's cage form. The good news is you won't get eaten by sharks or barracuda. The bad news is it's a long, convoluted 30 stories down in the dark. The PC has forbidden the drop, but floor 31 has no cameras. The council doesn't seem to mind, and Duritz built a ladder from his cage form back up to the platform. It's become a senior tradition, or obligation, depending on how you look at it. Every senior doesn't jump, but those who do get a little extra respect, and not just from other seniors. Word gets around. The bell rings, indicating that we are supposed to be exercising. Instead, Andrew, one of the biggest kids in the class, steps up to the drop. Well, are you or aren't you? Neldris yells, his pufferfish face turning red. Andrew steps into the chute and plunges into the darkness. Several of the boys high-five each other and jump through the chute, screaming. A few girls jump through. Maritza, our soft-spoken classmate, backs away. So does Lizette. Not for me. I'm fine living my whole life without doing that. Harriet is with Kay and Darby, who always follow her like shadows, and I feel them watching me. Sweat pools beneath my armpits. Part of me wants to back out. Respect is not something that motivates me. But the other part of me says, do it. Don't let Harriet win. Plus, I'd planned for the shoot drop. With mom gone, it's like any other year. I want to mark this senior, this, this final day of school, by doing something I would never normally do. But on my own terms. Hitting the deep, dark water with that much speed would give me a heart attack. So I had come up with an alternate plan. I'd done a dry run of it while everyone else was climbing a month ago. It hadn't been pretty, but it had worked. Three other kids from class jump. Drayton joins us. So I was wondering, don't, I say confidently and move calmly to the chute drop. Lisette gasps behind me. Bile is rising in my throat, but I ignore it. I put both hands on the opening. My fingers are stiff and splotchy and my wrists shake but I jump through. The first floor isn't a straight shot down, and since I carefully studied the rig diagrams, I know that the chute intersects a second pipeline on floor 29. It's my only chance for escape, and I'd made it out on the dry run. That's the only reason I don't throw up. I create serious friction by starfishing my arms and legs, and when the pipe takes a hard right turn, I thrust my feet to the left and force my body to make a U-turn. My head hits the wall, but I grab for the pressure wheel and hang on, I write myself, then crawl another 200 feet and kick out the exit panel on the 29th floor. And done, I mutter. I scoot out the pipe carefully on my hands and knees. I consider kissing the floor, but I'm in the middle of the glass recycling area. Most of the glass is amber and green, but there are a few shards of blue. I hear several pieces crush beneath my weight as I gingerly move across the pile. Joe? Lila, who was three years older than me, is standing in front of the pile of glass. She handles the glass sorting on Nod, though I know she tried to test into the technology resources track. She lives on the Northwest Spar platform and is constantly smiling. Careful, those are small pieces of glass. Where'd you come from? I look around but can't think up a plausible route to explain my presence. I tell the truth. I crawled out of the drop, 
It intersects on 29 with this horizontal pipe. The drop? Yeah, graduation. I step off the glass pile. Okay, Lila says. She pauses. I'm not sure I understand exactly how you got here, but okay. I should scan your chip for all those broken pieces. I gulp. That would tip my family's glass allotment way into overuse. I'm not asking for distribution. No, but they're much smaller pieces now. We look at each other. Lila's eyes are a beautiful deep green. I had never noticed before. I didn't jump, Lila finally says. Sorry. Glad you did. Lila walks back to the glass controller's booth. Since she doesn't say anything else, I tiptoe out of the glass recycling area and walk purposefully to the stairwell. I have 29 flights of stairs to run down and an ocean to jump into, or climb out of, as the case may be. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that is such a dynamic scene. And, and within the book, you have such a, a way of like maneuvering in this dynamic way, this really kind of like compelling, active way. And you're doing a lot of work there, which, which I really enjoyed when I was reading That's through so nice it. That's so nice of you to say. Oh, of course. You. Well, I, I, thank you. Um, one of the things I keep coming back to, though, and it's a really kind of simple thing, is this image of, of Joe on this platform. And, and I'm wondering if that's where the book started for you, just like with that image of someone being on this platform, or, or where was this idea coming from? So this came from me taking a little vacation. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> and going out to Dauphin Island and sitting on the beach. And, I, you know, pretty recently moved back. And the beaches in the north um, are totally different from here. There's no platform rigs yeah. hanging out. Um, and I just noticed them, and they're such a part of the scenery. And, like, even my family, like, oil is just part of our world here. Yeah. You know, my grandfather worked seven on, seven off. My uncle worked in oil. You know, my husband works worked for Shell. Like, this is just what we do, right, here in South Louisiana. But it never really, like, dawned on me how much a part of our daily view this industry is. Yeah. And so sitting on there, I was like, what if we just lived out there? Yeah. You know, what if we just lived out there? And then I started doing some research and there are cities, you know, built on these, these platforms. And I'm like, what if, and then it started going. And then what if, and then part of the reason why I decided to write a young adult book is because that's where I felt like I could have my voice heard. Yeah. Um, a lot of my students who are teenagers live in this, and I'm not trying to poo-poo social media. It's just they live in a world on their phone. Yeah. And I really started thinking about what if there was no real phone technology? Like what kind of community would that look like yeah. for a teenage group? What kind of a community would it look like for one where teenagers did stuff that was smart, that they were constantly trying to think green and recycle. And there are kids out there now that are doing that. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I felt like, would it, wouldn't it be wonderful to have this world where everything was about recycling, where everything was about doing things yourself, figuring things out, um, making sure that you had a community, taking action when there was um, a social system that wasn't functioning correctly yeah. as a teen. Um, because I do feel like, you know, I, I talked to some of my teenagers about voting and it's just not, in some of them, it's just not really part of their mindset right now. Yeah. And so I wanted to write something that would put that into the forefront. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a world where you have to be active and you have to be engaged and it's expected and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, it, it's interesting to think of like 
uh, being part of a generation and kind of the last generation before that cellular technology was there before the internet was really established and to have that background where most people don't now and that, that it's, it's so important for a defining thing for me and the people that I, that I grew up with. Um, and thinking through that, um, that's, that's really interesting that you have those ideas right there and trying to put that on the paper. Um, how have your, have your students read the book? <laughs> They have. And it's, it, you know, I think that's like one of the most fascinating things about putting your words out there is you have to be ready for what they're going to say. Yeah. One of my students, she's 12, um, was really excited and read the book and she's like, um, it's not for me. <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> stabbed to the heart. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, it's super like technical. And I feel like. I like more when it's kind of more dreamy. Yeah. I was like, cool. Thank you for reading it. And she's like, but I liked it because she doesn't want to hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. you know? And then I had two of my other students who loved it and put it out there for their friends. Um, I had an 80-year-old student read it and post this fantastic review for me. Um, she's a lovely lady. Uh, actually owns tugboats, had a tugboat company and just really enjoyed it. The choir director at one of the churches I work for read it, and she's, you know, in her 50s, and she was just like, this is fascinating. When's the sequel? And yeah. so what's even cooler is the greater variety of people who have read it and who have talked to me about it. And you have to be able to take from a 12-year-old that it's just not for me. Yeah, no, that's hard sometimes. <laughs> um, but it's personalities. And the fact that she read it for her summer reading, and she's not a big reader, made me... I definitely did feel proud about that. Yeah. But then from one of my students who I would say she's definitely a sixth grader who is forward thinking to see that it made that such a profound effect on her. Yeah. And she's like, I need to learn more about communications. And I was like, yeah, great. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> you know, or just be more active in how your world works. Yeah. You know, how does that cell phone work? Have you thought about it? Because right. I had to research it. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating in a lot it's, of ways. Yeah, how do you make, you know, a closed circuit system for any kind of tech, you know, any kind of talking to each other across a platform distance? Yeah. You know, how do you do that? Because a lot of things we do take for granted. Like, I take for granted every day that the internet and the Wi-Fi works in my house. And I don't exactly know how well, I do now, but I didn't. And so it's nice to know how that functions. Because 100 years ago, everybody knew how everything worked because you had to. Yeah. Because it was daily rituals, you had to take care of it for yourself for the exactly. most part. And uh, we've we've progressed in a way to where we don't, but we're, we lose something because of that in exactly. a way. Um, that understanding and, and an ability to understand our context better. Um, and my mom liked it. Did she? Okay. That's the best part. Seal of when, approval. When your you know? mom <laughs> says it was, it was good. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, is this going to be the start of a series or... It is. So this is the the first book. Um, the sequel is pinned out. Okay. Um, you know, life has its way. I have an 18-month-old, 19-month-old. Yes. I'm sorry. Hold me. Wow. 19-month-old. And right now I write, but my focus is really more on making sure I share in this incredible journey as he starts to read and talk and all these things. Yeah. Um, I... I feel super happy about that and we'll start writing on that sequel probably when he gets about two. Yeah, I think but that, that, that's obviously good. You want to spend time with your kid, especially during this early period. Well, you have to. Yeah, and exactly. Because, well, I'm part of the fantastic part of it is I'm rediscovering everything. Yeah. 
And so I do feel like it's going to make a mark on my writing. Like just simple things like a lizard or a cricket is fascinating. You know, the big black crickets my parents have, they have a farm in Raceland. Those things are just incredible. Like you don't think about there's a toad underneath this flower pot. Mm -hmm. And this is an entire new world of toads, (laughs) you know, or the idea that a horse could be called a nene and not a horse. And why do we call it horse? And so these wonderful things that are coming to me now, I'm, I'm excited to incorporate into my writing. I think that's great. So it's giving you kind of like a breather for something important, but you're like taking all these different things in and you're kind mm-hmm. of refreshing your... I always write my poetry and short stories continue to... Um, but to write a book, you have to have a start place and you have to really set out your time and make sure that it's an everyday process. Yeah. And I'd rather just spend every day enjoying this wonderful time. How do you... Um, you seem really consistent with your writing. You write every day? I write every day. How did you get into writing every day and how have you stayed that way? I will be honest with you. It's discipline. And thank you, parents, for putting me into music and dance lessons as a child because it teaches you consistency. School does this well, but there's something about that extracurricular activity and saying you have to practice Mm -hmm. for X amount of time, five days a week. I got out of that practice post-college because you're just kind of exploring and doing all the things, but it has to be a conscious decision. And uh, I used to wake up at 6 a.m. and write from 6 to 8 a.m. every day. Um, Those days are long gone. Yes. (laughs) So now what it is, is it's taking time, making sure that you know your day is not complete until you take the time to sit down and write or you sit down and practice or you sit down and create for X amount of time. Yeah. And that's just how you have to do it. Sometimes it's late at night. Sometimes it's in the middle of the day, but you have to do it. You know, it was much easier when I had a consistent schedule, but the thought process is still in my mind that my day isn't done until I sit down and write something down. Yeah, I like that. I I talked to to George Saunders um, a few months ago and he, he talked about working the night shift and like, he's like, I only have this five minute period to write in my journal. So I just have to take this deep breath and be like, all right, you're in the right place. Now do it. Right. I I find that that amazing. I think that's so great and admirable to to really get there when you can't have that set schedule. Well, it's, it's part of keeping the sanity. Yeah. You know, it's part of keeping the sanity and, and making sure that your mind is still functioning on a writer's level. Yeah. Um, Obviously, this book is a portion of your kind of journey back to the New Orleans area, or Louisiana. Um, what was your experience like being away, and what has it been like kind of coming back and immersing yourself back into the culture? You know, that's such a fantastic question. And when I left home, I think I needed to journey for myself, yeah. you know, because when you grow up with so much culture around you and so much wonderful uh, language around you. You know, my my grandfather's first language was French, and there's a lot of reasons why some of that language is dying. But from Homa, um, you had Native American culture, you had Cajun culture. My mom is from Opelousas, Lafayette. You had this beautiful, um, you know, festival culture. And, you know, New Orleans is right here. I grew up coming here, and I had ballet here every week. I went to the Maple Street Bookstore, you know, Then I went and I journeyed and I found a whole lot of other culture and I found a whole lot of other music and a whole lot of other styles and none of them quite felt like home, right? Yeah. And I enjoyed the friendship and the travels and the things and the experiences that I've seen. 
And when I came back, the minute that I walked into the poetry reading and the minute I walked into the tango, I felt like, wow, this is where I'm from. There is a kindness in the community of artists here in New Orleans. And it kind of makes me tear up. Um, our good friend Goat uh, just passed away and he was so well loved. One of the first people I met at Live Oak Cafe and he just sort of did this. Come and be part of this wonderful yeah. fabric. Come and be part. I played jazz fast. I played French Quarter fast with, with, um, with him and it was just automatic family. Yeah. And I don't think there's any other place that I've ever been where this community of artists gives you automatic family. It was just such a glorious experience. And I continue to live that. And I think part of it is also the places that I choose to bring myself are places of, of really great kindness. Yeah. And in New Orleans, you have to find it, but it is there. The community is strong. It's a loving community. And uh, the dance communities here, they're family. They will come through for my reading. My entire tango community came out. I mean, come on. Where does this happen? We live in such a magical city. We do. We do. Um, I take a good breath because <laughs> I'm very passionate about it. I really feel connected. Um, and I feel like what a blessing. Yeah. Just to live in a city where you have these old communities that care and that love their their artists and their musicians yeah. that come out and support and uh, let you be who you are. I love that. I, I think that, that that's great. And that's incredibly passionate Without speech. Without judgment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. You know? um, no, that, that, that's, I love to hear that. Um, Sorry. Probably a little bit more than <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I think that that's great. It's something that, that I very much believe about the literary community here as well as yeah. the other, other arts and creative communities that have come across. I, I teach... I've taught the family of C. W. Buchanan. Um, yeah. I teach Bell and and Russell, and it, you're super connected. What other community? I mean, you know, I, Michael Zoll is a good friend. Yeah. Like, what other community do we have that the bookstore, like you know, Blue Cypress is right next door to where I play on Tuesdays, and their family. Yeah. Lovely, right? Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's integrated into the fabric. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. Um, to to kind of pivot a bit, uh, to kind of wrap us up. Katarina. Oh, is it a hearty time? I know, right? Uh, but uh, I'm wondering what you're reading right now. And um, yeah, the we're, red wagon. The red wagon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I I actually. So I I will say there's there's you have to have a balance between um, what you're reading for fun and what you're reading for real, yeah. and then what you're reading to your child at this point. And. He really loves wagons and he really loves tractors. And so I'm all up into tractors. I know quite a bit now about the tractors, oh. um, which is fun, I guess. Um, I'm reading the 100 because I'd never read that before. Okay. And, ah, you know, it's fun. It's fun. It's a, it's a journey. And then I started and I, I know this is kind of crazy, but I decided to go back to Epic. And so I'm reading Gilgamesh. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, the new translation. And why that author's mind, uh, the translator just slipped my mind, but um, Gilgamesh, because I just felt like I needed to go back to the epic kind saga of world. Yeah, world. I, I get that. It's, it's a good time for it. I was uh, right. I was interviewing somebody and um, we were talking about the new translation of the Odyssey, the first one done yeah. by, by a woman, which is supposedly fantastic. I know, right? Um, for both, for everyone. Yeah. 
Um, no, that, that's cool. Good. Um, and just for, for our listeners, if they want to know a little bit more about you or keep up to date, uh, where can they find more information? Ah, I have a website. It's www.katarinaboudreau.com. And that's K-A-T-A-R-I-N-A-B-O-U-D-R-E-A-U-X.com. <laughs> um, you can check out Owl Howell Press, who is the fantastic publisher of Platform Dwellers. Can't thank enough Olivia Swenson, who was a beautiful editor for my book. Emma, Hannah, and Caroline, they've just been stellar. Yeah. Um, I cannot have asked for a nicer experience with a publishing house. Um, and then you can find the book on Amazon. Right now it's on uh, Fussy Librarian, different, you know, places to find books. And hopefully people will read it. I love it. And the cover is beautiful. It really is. It's gorgeous. I, um, I was so thrilled when I saw it. And I just, I love the the concept of looking out into a greater world. Yeah. No, great. Well, Katarina, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. It's been awesome.